Folks, welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio. This is the H Factor with your host, Hurricane H. New day, an awesome uh, topic, a topic that there is not enough, even though we've covered quite a few of, uh, you know, shows in the past, you know, there's not enough discussion, there's not enough, and we cannot really live without having this discussion. It's a serious discussion that always needs to be had. And I think uh, it's important that, you know, we learn from different folks and different angles and different 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 advocates that are out there and today my uh guest is a special guest because this is her world she lives in in this particular mental health advocacy specifically touching on suicide uh so with me i have uh, lisa sugarman and she is an author a uh, national uh columnist syndicated columnist uh you know she writes and uh she's a three-time survivor of suicide loss and we're going to talk about that she's also a counselor at the trevor project and the storyteller and the mental health advocate so quite a bit there she has great stories to share with us and definitely she's going to enlighten us about things when it comes to suicide and how to potentially have the tough discussion and even potentially prevent you know some of these things from happening to our loved ones and friends and and even people who we don't know and uh you know hopefully we can make a difference you know through uh the discussion that we're gonna have today lisa welcome to the show thank you so much i'm so glad to be here i appreciate it oh it's a true pleasure and uh you know like i said i mean you do a lot of stuff i mean <laughs> you know and again, <laughs> I, my, my little intro is not enough it's never enough so let's talk about Lisa, uh, you know, the work you do, but then also the story, why mm. you got into what you're doing today. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, you you said all the things that I, I spend a lot of my time advocating for mental health awareness and suicide prevention and suicide awareness and just to change the dialogue on mental illness, to change the stigma around what it means to be mentally ill. And you know, I, I wasn't always an advocate. I've been a content creator and a writer forever. Um, I've written a bunch of parenting books. I was kind of in that space for a very long time um, as a as a parenting author, talking on all the you know the big parenting platforms about how to you know raise perfectly imperfect kids. And then my life had a a, a bit of a an, an upending when I found out that my father, who I lost when I was ten had actually taken his own life. So I had to regrieve that all over again. I mean, when my father passed away, the story I was given was that he had had a heart attack and I never questioned it. And then 35 years later, I found out very much by accident that he had taken his life and it just it gutted me. It it just tore me apart. It changed it changed the narrative that I lived with for, for my whole life. It, it put the that the whole concept of of mental unwellness just right in front of me and i i couldn't i couldn't avoid it i couldn't i couldn't sidestep it in any way and i i i had no choice but to to kind of start from scratch and and regrieve his death and then just try to understand i was just i just really tried to absorb everything i could about mental illness and about depression and and about suicide and and kind of that mindset and it just kind of started me on this path. And, you know, little by little, I started sharing my story in, in little ways. And then little ways became big ways. And and then I started to feel that need to keep doing more and got involved with Trevor Project as a crisis counselor. So now I'm on the crisis lifelines and I'm talking to people who are in the same mindset that my father was in with the the idea of hopefully, you know, helping them make a different 
make a different choice. So that's kind of where I am and that's what I do. And so now everything that I put out into the world is kind of focused on mental health and wellness and, and how to learn to be vulnerable and ask for help and how to change the narrative. Well, that's, that's a story that that's very, <laughs> I, I don't know how, you know, I mean, it's, I can't even find the words really to describe because I mean, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. I mean, you get a story that you, your dad passed There's most people, I mean, heart attack is very common and, you know, mm -hmm. but then only to find out years later that that was not the case. I mean, that's pretty mind, you know, but I mean, that, that, that might have, you know, literally, uh, you know, a difficult impact on anyone that's, that's watching or listening right now, especially, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it, you don't even know why. I mean, I, maybe you do know now. Uh, maybe they they sheltered you from the truth at the time, not to give you any trauma or anything. I guess that that probably mm. the logical thing that comes to mind. Maybe it was the right thing. Maybe it was. And I'll defer to you to tell us more about how you feel about that. But yeah. really, that is that is a big thing. And and you know, certainly living with that truth that was not true. You know, and uh, it was a lie technically. I mean, again, I don't. Yeah. Want to, you know, <laughs> misstate, but but really, like you know, I mean, some people say, well, we didn't tell you the truth; we just, you know, prevented you from knowing the truth. You know, mm -hmm. there's ways to 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 turn around that that discussion, but but nevertheless, it is a difficult one, and uh, it is a shocker. I'm not sure if you have kids. I mean, even just to to tell your kids, like, listen, to your grandfather. This is, I mean, how you break that down to them? I mean, especially you you do the parenting, you know, mm -hmm. you have space. It is it is tough for for just to to get a handle on. And do you have siblings? I don't. I don't have any siblings. I, I was an only child, and my my dad was my person. He was he was he was that that center, that that hub of my whole life. And I mean, I'm incredibly close with my mom. We have a beautiful relationship. We talk every day. We're each other's best friend. We've always been close. But before I was close with my mother in that way. It was always my dad. I was a tomboy when I was a kid. So my dad liked to race cars and he liked to climb mountains and he was active and um, I did everything with him. So, you know, I was his buddy and he was my buddy. And so when he was gone, it was just, it was just devastating in, in every way. And there were just so many different moving parts to the whole story. You know, I mean, maybe not at that time when I was 10, but, you know, since finding out the truth about his suicide and kind of like backtracking over everything that's what you do or that's what i did you just kind of replay everything from the beginning the way that you knew it and then everything just changes everything just kind of splinters off in a million different directions and and so many things that you knew to be true weren't true and it's it's just it's so hard to get your mind around and, and because there are so many moving parts to it I mean, I've known this truth now for, for 10 years. And my my daughters, I have two grown daughters. One is 23 and my oldest is 26. And we didn't tell them right away because they were they were teens, like tween teen age at that time. And so I needed just some time and space to just kind of process, you know, and and really just kind of somehow get my mind around this new narrative. And so it, it took me a, a few years and I was very much like one person in the, you know, in the privacy of my own home and then someone entirely different when I was out in the world because I, I had this thing that I was just trying to understand and trying to grapple with that I couldn't bring out into the rest of my life yet. I just, I didn't know what to make of it. So 
that's, I spent years like that. And then ultimately told our girls because I felt like it was so important for them as they move through their life, just to know, like we all have that DNA cocktail, right? That we live with some, some things are hardwired from that DNA piece. Some things are environmental, situational, like we've got all these different parts of us and that mental health piece that's this, that's hereditary. You know, a lot of that can trickle down. And I wanted my girls to know, like, this is, this is what's in your history. And these are things you might see, or you might feel. And, and when you do, we need to talk about it. So it was, it's definitely been a process. And it's, it's one that I, I know I'm going to go through for the rest of my life, because it, it just, it ebbs and flows. And, you know, it, it changes as it goes. Thank you. Now, I, I, I love what you said about this is something that will stay. I mean, it is, there is a component that is in DNA, and you know, mm-hmm. not a lot of people know about that. Not a lot of people even would would think that that's related or that could happen. I mean, this mm-hmm. is actually the first time I'm hearing it in in from from an advocate. You know that there is a risk, you know, of of even that being as a characteristic in your DNA. And and you know, we think about that. Bees, we think about other things, but <laughs> you never hear about like, hey, you can be suicidal, and that can be also mm-hmm. you know, in your DNA. I mean that's 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 a whole different you know world right there that, that opens up because if someone's watching listening right now like oh my god you know <laughs> do I have any history in my family because maybe you don't even know I mean look if nobody told you eventually you would have known and and that could have been all along so it is it is pretty risky business not to mm-hmm. know and I, yeah. I think what you do now the work you do is is so valuable because you are bringing this to the surface to people and awareness. I mean, as you said, they just need to know. People need to know mm-hmm. so they can at least be aware. And if you're aware, you can prevent, you know, so you're ahead of the game. Yeah. If you're not, it could be too late. So before we go any further, you know, I'm not sure if you're able to share a little bit of, of what you discovered and what were some of the, the reasons potentially that, that got him to do so. And are you in your work, do you kind of guide people to maybe prevent or avoid some of the things or the stresses that, that potentially, you know, got him to get to that final decision. Mm, Yeah. First of all, I mean, and just, this is just a disclaimer for you. There's nothing that I won't talk about where this is concerned. So ask me anything because I'm, I'm super open about it. I mean, part of so much of what I do is encourage people to, to share all the parts, even the uncomfortable, difficult parts. So that's, that's out there just just (laughs) so you know. Um, you know, it's hard to say because you got to keep in mind that my dad passed away in 1978. And you think about that time period, right? That time period was such a funky time in our in our collective history. I mean, people were not talking about mental illness. People were not talking about seeing therapists. People were not talking about being medicated. People weren't talking about their unwellness. So, he was living in a time where there were certain societal expectations where you just kind of soldiered on and you kind of sucked it up. And and my father was an incredibly sensitive and kind and, and beautiful man. He was never like the kind of guy that you would, you would say would be like posturing, you know, like try and try and be a tough guy. He wasn't, he wasn't like that at all, but we didn't know that he was suffering. So we really don't know the full why. And that's something I struggle with. That's something I live with. I, you know, I, I'm, I went back into therapy about a year and a half ago for myself. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever gifted myself was going back in to therapy. And one of the things that, that I really have a tough time with is 
just fully understanding the the why. I mean, my dad did leave a note. It was very, very brief. It was more just a, you know, I'm sorry and I can't go on and I love you. And and there were no details. It was it was simply that. So, you know, we we know that he was under a lot of stress. He had a full-time job. He was a busy guy. He we live just north of Boston. So my dad would commute into the city every day. He had this big full-time job. And then he also took over my grandparents' real estate business. So he had two full-time jobs and he came from a family. Look, my, my dad's nickname growing up was the unwanted. So, I mean, you, you, you don't even need to really go beyond that yeah. one <laughs> fact to understand that my dad came from a really challenging family. They were not a loving family, not a supportive family, not even very, um, very kind, unfortunately, you know, it's hard for me to say it because it it's, you know, it's hard to acknowledge that, but it's the truth. And it had a huge impact on my dad. So we know that a lot of the stress that he felt came from there. Beyond that, we don't know. So as far as the work that I do now, I mean, that's why I became a crisis counselor, because, you know, I can advocate all day long, I can, I can write books, or I can have conversations like this with you and um, write newspaper columns all day long. But there's something very different about being on the phone, being at that grassroots level, taking the call from the person who is at imminent risk. Like they have started the process and they're struggling and they don't know how to stop it. And they don't know what their other options are. I, I knew that even if I had the opportunity to change someone's mindset, one person, just one person, that would be it for me. Like that's, that would be the end game for me is to know that I could help one person. And then you do that. And then you just want to keep helping someone. You just want to keep that momentum going and keep that dialogue open and keep answering the phone calls. And, and that's what I've been doing. And we don't we don't try and stop someone in the sense that it's not my job. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm a crisis counselor who's trained to hold space and trained to de-escalate someone and help someone come up with a safety plan or find someone resources. And a lot of the time I just spend listening to people on the phone. And every time I answer the phone, I think about my dad and Every time I get off a call and it's a successful call where someone, you know, feels more grounded or feels centered or they're, they're no longer suicidal. That's like, that's it for me. That's, that's the end game for me. Wow. <laughs> well, we're going to go deeper there because I need yeah. to learn more about the work you do. But so you talked about maybe not understanding exactly what happened, but definitely you do have mm. the proof that it happened. But, mm. but you talked about a couple of things that can probably be triggers to many people watching and listening right now they might not even know about it you know or they because that's the thing like we you don't never know i mean i'm talking to you i don't know how i can behave any given moment because mm -hmm. life happens right and yeah. that's that's a, that's a challenge because we all have moments of weakness we all get through you know life and life can throw quite a few heavy punches at us all the time mm -hmm. and i don't think there is anyone who can deny that or say that, oh, my life is peachy, I, I'm good. Listen, I'm a very positive person, and believe me, there are times where life can put a, a ton on you and you feel that weight, 
And it's just how you deal with it. Sometimes it's mm. you know whether some people are religious, some people are spiritual, some people they just like you know determined. You know nothing phases me. But at the end of the day, there's still a threshold. There's a limit to any one of us. You know out there, no matter who and what you think and how strong you think you are, you will get through a moment where you're gonna get a weakness more. You know point, and that's where it becomes very dicey. But but mm. in 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 the, the keywords you said is that. He was working full time. He had another mm -hmm. job. And by the way, that's the case of a lot of people today. More yeah. than ever, people are doing double jobs, triple jobs, and it's been going for decades. And now with everything that's going on last at least three, three, four years since the, the pandemic and on, it's gotten worse. People are just coming out of stress, you know, and it's it's started at a younger age now. It's not even, you know, an, an older age. It's it's yeah. from teenage to on, you know, and I, and I kind of mentioned this previous to the show. I've lost a couple of cousins myself, you know, in, you know, when I was younger mm -hmm. and like last year ago, year and a half ago, my son's, you know, friend, you know, took his own life. So, so, and they, no, it, so sorry. this is, this is a 15 year old kid, you know, so it's not even like, you know, this is someone that is had all the life ahead of them. And I, I use this example, not so much. I mean, I, I, I obviously I feel bad for, for his parents, you know, his parents and what happened, but the idea is that hopefully some other, you know, parents and families watching and listening, they can at least try to be closer, see and 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 know what could be some of the triggers. And 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 sometimes you don't even know the triggers because that's the thing. Mm -hmm. People are not gonna talk, you know, even today, you mentioned like in the 70s, it was taboo to even think about mental health, right? It is still the, the case now. The oh, difference yeah. is there's more of of an open mind to to podcasts and to shows, and mm -hmm. I mean, we do have, like I, I do have a, a monthly you know show with a, a world renowned psychiatrist, and we cover questions from people that actually ask questions about mental health and how how things they can handle certain situations. But you know, this is a serious matter that is affecting everybody around the world it's not mm -hmm. doesn't there's no gender to this there's no race to this yep. this city or, or nationality or a everybody is definitely potentially you know in a point or another can get into this this stuff and you know mm. even from a religious aspect you know if you talk to someone religious they're going to tell you all oh, this evil and evil can drive you know bad negative negative energy if those that are spiritual they can tell you negative energy mm -hmm. we know it it exists and we have to be a little bit mindful about it and and understand that no matter what, you know, there is a light, you know, at the end of the time, there's better yeah, life. Yeah. There's, there's a, we have to keep people hope. And I think hope is a great thing to have to hang on to. Hopefully, you know, we get through this life without making a decision that is irreversible. I mean, that, right. that's the ultimate, you know, not now, now that I said that, you know, those are things that you, you talked about, but this, this is mm -hmm. stuff that you talk to people every day. Now you're, I mean, again, thank you for clarifying. You're a crisis counselor. I, I didn't mm -hmm. I think I mentioned that in, in the beginning, but I didn't quite, you know, fully understood what it took to be one. But, but really, so you actually is that the nine eight eight? You know, uh, like it's linked to the nine eight exchange, or yeah. Well, this is the Trevor Project. So the Trevor Project is the country's largest LGBTQ resource. It's a crisis support resource hotline for at-risk LGBTQ youth ages 13 to 24. I mean, we'll, that's our primary demographic. We'll answer calls from anyone. We do get calls from uh, people who are out of the demographic in terms of age, or maybe they're calling from out of the country because it's so easy nowadays to call from anywhere in the world. So we, we do get calls from all over, but our primary demographic are those, those youth um, up to 24 years old. And, you know, the, the Trevor Project is 
uh, its own its own 800 number, but we also do get 988 calls that are filtered in for sure. Yeah, we, we get like an overflow of those as well. So there's definitely a double dip there. Well, thank you. I mean, again, I, I just, you know, I always try to give the the access to that number to mm-hmm. people and hopefully people know that it exists. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we need to know it's like 911. That's like your next one. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's before 911. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because 911 will be too late, right? We want 988, you know, at least, you know, someone needs that. But obviously, depending, in, in this case, you have a particular, you know, demographic that is, that you dedicate to, to help and assist to prevent. Um, now, now, is there anything particular that you find from the demographic versus the the other groups or the other, you know, uh, I guess calls? Is there or are they all the same? I mean, in nature. Oh, no, yeah. no, they're all different. I mean, you know, there are definitely there. There are definitely buckets of issues that we see more often than others. Like it's it's an LGBTQ focused service. So you've got a lot of people out there who are struggling with, with gender or with sexuality, or, you know, they're, they're coming out and they're afraid their family is going to alienate them. Um, God, we have everything from abuse to obviously suicidal behavior, homicidal behavior, homelessness, uh, job insecurity, people, we have a lot of people who we call familiar voices, who are people they're just calling every day because they don't have anyone in their life. They don't have a support system. They don't have a family necessarily or uh, that that friend community that they can draw on. So they call us to be able to have someone to check in on. And and so we we hear everything from all walks of life, all types of issues, and they aren't all just people calling at higher imminent risk or harming of harming themselves it's it's people who are just lonely or isolated or frustrated and and that's okay because we're there to listen to them just like anybody else again i'm assuming that you know it that's the first step if they can't talk to anyone then then mm-hmm. those ideologies or you know are gonna get in and, and they say mm-hmm. so the idea is that as long as they can talk to someone you can diffuse any of those thoughts and hopefully mm-hmm. eliminate them and 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 basically disengage that that thought process that it's you know it's it's a unbelievable i mean it it hearing it i mean i'm sure y- your work is just like at the end of the day you go home <laughs> very you know uh it's 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 i don't know you need you gotta need some sort of a what do you call it stress relief process. Stress, yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that that's one of the things that you know, is is super important that anybody who's who's in that mental health profession, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whether you're um, any kind of a caregiver or a crisis counselor or a therapist, like you, you are taking it all in and you're, you know, you're doing all the space holding and you're doing all the helping and the emotional support. And it's, it, it does definitely take a toll. So there's a big, big stress within our organization is a big, big, um, stress to make sure that we're, or encouragement, I should say, for all of us to have our own self-care practice and for all of us to be able to kind of detach. And because it's, we don't have call centers anymore. You know, the pandemic kind of did away with with call centers where all the counselors were together in kind of like a bullpen environment and people were, you know, were, were talking and sharing, um, you know, strategies and things like that while they were taking calls. It's not like that anymore. So everyone's doing all of this work at home. So there's no, there's no separation. So it's really especially important that we have the ability to kind of 
get up and and move away from the space where we spend all this time and and have these self-care practices. I mean, like for me, I journal every day. I get up early. I meditate every single morning. I practice yoga. I I run. I go to the gym. I, you know, I, I have my own outlets. And it and it's it is so important because it can get really get really heavy. And you've got to have a way to purge that. Well, thank you, and and actually, that's that's a great you know differentiator because you're you're right. It is different if you're in a call center with a bunch of people doing the same work, and you can mm-hmm. go to the break room and have a discussion and get it out of your system. Here, you you're not gonna dial mm-hmm. the next person's all in the queue, and everybody is separate, and you, you don't see anyone other than your immediate family. Mm-hmm. Which which to your point, I mean, you just get in all this bombardment of these things, and while you're trying to. If you use, you're still absorbing some of that energy, and that can mm-hmm. can, can be a, a heavy duty <laughs> weight on yourself as well. But I love mm-hmm. what you said that you have your own system and mm-hmm. to deal with it. And and yes, we do need to have those. Whether it's your watching movie, running, punching a bag, going to the gym, you know, do something. Of course, nothing addictive or bad. <laughs> we do right, not right. recommend any of like some people can go, you know, get you know nice. Nice little, uh, you know, bottle of booze, and then dig. <laughs> that yeah. to it. We don't want that. We want something constructive and positive, of course. But so, so I have a question. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a technical or not, but is there? Do you find that there is? I don't know if you look at statistics. Is mm-hmm. there any difference difference in terms of rates of potential suicide from LGBTQ? Uh, LGBTQ. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the the rates in terms of of teens of non LGBTQ teens. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I I, I wouldn't want to speak to those statistics because I'm not sure enough of them to know. What I I do know two things that I can share. The first thing is, and and this doesn't really relate specifically to the LGBTQ community. It's more just like kind of within the the dynamic of you know, just the human population, or especially in this in this country, the most at-risk population, people we tend to hear from the most, who are the most suicidal, are like 50-something-year-old men. Those that's that's one of the highest populations of at-risk callers that we have. So it's it's I don't know if I don't know I'm, if that's I mean I'm in that category. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't that's know if that's surprising. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's um it's a it's a tough demographic. It's really, really hard. And you know, for obvious reasons, you can, you know, you can imagine, especially in this in this world that we're living in right now, it's you know, people's people are struggling with a lot of job insecurity and food insecurity and um, you know, and home insecurity and and you know. Unfortunately, there are a lot of guys out there who have the weight of the world on them, and you know they they can't they can't handle it as well. Unfortunately, so we we do a lot of call taking for that population. But there's a there's kind of a flip side statistic to that in terms of, and this this is an LGBTQ related statistic specific from Trevor Project. Did you know that if if someone is calling, if a youth in crisis is calling our lifeline? And one of us answers the phone and talks to that youth. That one person, one of us, is going to reduce the risk of that teen taking their life by 40%. Just one person. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one of us here on the crisis line. It could be you taking the call from your, you know, one of your kids' friends, or they stop by the house and they're in a bad state of mind and, and you're talking to them. One person to connect with can change 
that that person's trajectory by 40 percent i mean one call is 40 percent. you get a couple i mean mm -hmm. you're, done. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're 100 percent almost there i mean three calls you're you're ahead of the game mm -hmm. but, but but that that shows how important talking is to mm -hmm. someone you know I, I think that's the whole thing i mean it's like if you keep everything inside it's like a volcano eventually gonna erupt and boom yeah. but if you let you know the flow out and you can share with the that i think that's by the way that statistic i mean I, Thank you for breaking the 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 difference between the statistics, but mm -hmm. I think that will apply even to 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 non-LGBTQ because I think yeah. that's everybody that would probably have an ability to talk to someone. I mean, that's why therapy mm -hmm. and mental health and visit, you know, getting some support system is important. Will make a difference in anybody's life. But but you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about the age group of the fifty, and you know, I can relate to that. Yeah. You know, because here's the thing: you've you've worked about thirty years in your life, and you mm -hmm. know, sometimes. Shit happens, you know, life can throw yeah. in a very, very nice twist at that point. And now you're like, you know, your health is not as, as it used to be in the early mm -hmm. days. You know, you maybe uh, that's the other one. There's, there's still, believe it or not, there is still an age limitation at work, you know, because yeah. you know, as you get up in age, people may not want to have you. Either you have too much mm -hmm. baggage or you're just too old, you know, for them, they might not tell you that. But, but there is there is some level of filtration there that happens, you know, when when they look at your resume, oh, you got 30 years of experience, I'll try to get someone who's going to get paid less and, you know, and stuff. Believe me, those are those are real folks. I mean, oh, yeah. not, it's, it's as real as it sounds. You know, we can sugarcoat it with all the EEOCs and all the stuff. That's great mm -hmm. if you can get through, but you, you can document that. But there is a lot of that stuff that happens. So you're right. There are, there are people at this point. They probably have kids in college. Mm -hmm. Got all the finances, the mortgages. As you said, we have inflation now. You know, every single thing can get to a point where you get to a point like I can't do this anymore. And and again, I mean, it's, it's going to sound as as sad as this, but sometimes you know people would, you know, you would think that I got to get out of here somehow. Yeah. Now, if you can't get out of here, you know, any other way, you know, maybe that's that's what you would think about at that point. It's like you know what, I just don't want to be part of it. And that's actually not something we want to hear or we want to get to. And and frankly, I love what you said about that. One call can reduce that, you know, mm -hmm. thought to 40%. A couple of calls, a follow-up calls can, can almost, you know, eliminate that. The more you talk about this stuff, the more you get it out of the system. I think uh, you're talking about men, you know, we have that, that macho concept. I mean, I, you know, I, know. I can relate to it. it. It's always very difficult to have men cry or say this. I'm not saying that's general, but... But I think, you know, it's, it's, I guess the DNA, it's just part of, you talk about DNA. It's just mm -hmm. that, that, that male testosterone kicking, you know, that will, will drive some of that. And it's, it's very difficult. You're not going to find a lot of folks, you know, who will actually talk or want to talk or show vulnerability or, you know, like I am. That's that that's the key. That's the word right there is vulnerability. Yeah, I mean, listen, I can, I can talk to you. It's very difficult. Listen, I can speak from my own. It is difficult to actually just go to someone and say, I'm having a bad time. I'm I'm tired. Mm -hmm. You just want to duke it out. You want to make it happen and you face it. And sometimes it gets very difficult. Listen, I've gone through it. I know how it feels. And it's difficult to actually go through sometimes unless you have somebody that's side by side to help you and you talk to yeah. someone and you support each other. And I think that's the problem. Sometimes you have no when I asked you about do you have any siblings? Because that's a little bit more, you know, you share that response, or at least the, the news together, and you kind of help each other. But when you're solo, I am a lonely child too. So I can really do oh, not really? have it. Yeah, I have no, no brother or sister. So I can tell you, it's very difficult. There's no one to talk to, you know. Yeah. And so a lot of times you talk to yourself. Now, luckily, I have a, a great wife that actually we're close and, you know, everything. I talk to her, she talks to me. So 
that's my like you know I, if I'm not feeling right, I just talk to her and so on and so forth. So it helps. But you're right. Some people don't have that ability. You yeah. know, they don't have someone, and so they just find themselves talking to themselves. And again, we got that whole you know sabotage saboteur voice inside that says all mm -hmm. the bad things. You know, like ah, you, you know what? What the hell? <laughs> you know, and that's not a good thing. But but so so we want to encourage people to actually make a call. You know, see someone, talk mm -hmm. to someone. Don't have and that by the way. From the, the shows that I've done and the discussions I've had, that's a very common theme, which usually people don't have anybody, they don't talk, and then they wind up, you know, making those those decisions. Now, you and I, we had a brief discussion before when I, I used the word commit suicide. So let's talk yeah. about that, because I know that that's a, what we refer to, someone committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what is a better way to to rephrase that. Well, so let's let's break it down. Let's talk about the 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 terminology the word choice in general and look you're you're not saying anything that hasn't been said for for decades right i mean that's that's what we're taught to say that's how we've been taught to say it but what's ended up happening is that you know society evolves we grow we understand we rethink things we reprocess things and we reevaluate things and the mental health community as a whole has kind of reevaluated the word committed. And when you break that word down and you think about it and you put it in a different context, right? You say the word committed, what do you think of? You think of maybe I committed a sin, maybe I committed a crime, or maybe I committed infidelity. It's or a negative. It's a negative connotation. Yeah. And so, and because of that, it automatically spins, it spins that act from one thing which may be completely innocuous and harmless a person could have been just just mentally ill and incapable of of managing their own behaviors and they made this terrible choice but it wasn't because they were a bad person it wasn't because they committed a crime it was because they were mentally ill right they, you would never fault somebody for having a heart attack we shouldn't fault somebody for being mentally ill either but when you use the word committed you're automatically attaching this negative connotation to it and and right now in this world word choice matters so we also when we say that it 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 somehow discredits the person too. It it almost invalidates that person because it makes them seem like something they're not. And so when we change out that word and we swap it out, instead of saying committed, we say they died by suicide or they ended their life or they took their own life. Like that's a very different connotation it doesn't there's no blame attached to that there's no negativity attached to that it's just it's kind of it's just a, it's true in a fact right mm -hmm. and and so now there there is this movement within the mental health industry and community as a whole to just really get people to understand why we have to change that language because you know if we're trying to change public perception on what it means to be mentally ill and we're trying to destigmatize it all and we're we're trying to you know move mental illness into the mainstream where it should be right alongside everything else that we deal with then we have to start by the way that we talk about it and the way that we talk about it is is negative when we use that word so that's why we don't use it anymore well th thank you and I, I think that for anyone watching or listening i mean i i think we ought to adopt a different way of stating it. And then you're right. When you use the word commit, it's, you know, especially, you know, in this, in the context committed, 
robbery, mm-hmm. committed crime, committed yep. suicide, committed this. You know, it does give you that negative, you know, a bad picture, you know, and so it's the stigma to it. And and you know, you, as you said, I mean, there's no reason. First of all, if the person's already took their life, we shouldn't, you know, take it any further than that. I mean, mm-hmm. as you said, you state the fact. But we want to prevent that from happening. So now a question for you. Mm-hmm. By the way, I do love what you said about we don't blame people for having a heart, you know, heart problem or, or any, any other disease or illness. Yet we look at someone with mental like they're responsible. Now, mm-hmm. now, really, you know, technically, we we all can be subjected to some level of mental health at any given point in our lives, because mm-hmm. we are, you know, we have too many stresses around us and 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 triggers every single day from street, you know, noise to pollution to food mm-hmm. we eat to the noise to what we're subjected on TV mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, everything is around us: the work, the load, the family, the bills. You know, every single thing can be an actual added, you know, pressure. And again, like everything else, you put too much pressure, something blows and we don't want it. So, so, so now the question to you is, do you see in in the work you do that maybe some folks with potentially a level of addiction have a higher, you know, potential? Or, I mean, do you even find out that there is a, some sort of an addiction in the play or, or it doesn't matter whether they are on some level of, drugs or something because because maybe that's that's another thing that could be like when someone gets into a stress point and they start having some use of some level whether alcohol or drugs mm-hmm. or smoking stuff it can get them to that point where they're not really 100 lucid and so they might be you know it makes it easier for them to decide you know to to take life right as right. opposed to if you're a complete you know you know in in your state of mind that is solid then you would know better you can make the determination differently I mean, is there something in there in your work, at least, that you see? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's anything that I see directly. I mean, there there are definitely people who will call in and they're in an altered state and we know it and we can tell. And, and it definitely has a significant impact on what they're saying and how they're saying it and and maybe what they they're threatening to do. Maybe it's, um, you know, it's 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 just making it easier for them to kind of go down the rabbit hole that they're already going down. I mean, I, I think that un- unfortunately, and here's the thing about mental illness, mental illness is a bitch. It's a sneaky little bitch. And it just is, um, it's so distorting and it's it's so unkind and it it lies to us and it doesn't make a difference. Um, it, it doesn't make a difference who you are. Yes, of course, somebody who is, you know, is is maybe drunk or maybe someone who's high is going to be more susceptible to those to, you know, to those influences of their mental illness. But, you know, I I mean, at the end of the day, it's the mental illness itself that takes over. And it's and one thing I think that's really important, and I, I end up end up having this conversation, this part of the conversation often with people in the context of like, someone who decides that they need to take their life because there's something that they they need to get away from it's not it's never that they want to get away from their family it's never that they want to get away from their friends or the people that they care about or their life they're doing what they're doing because they just they just need the pain that they're in to stop so that's what's corrupting them and yeah sure things like you know drugs and alcohol can can certainly can certainly speed that along 
sometimes when they're already kind of on that path, but it's the illness itself that really is the thing that takes over in the end. Well, well, thank you. That's a, that's a big, you know, uh, clarifier there, because as you said, if anything, we want to tell these people, we want to help people to see mm-hmm. what they're going to live behind all the beautiful you know, folks that are around and things that they can look up, you know, to, as opposed to, you know, the alternative but but you're right if they're in pain i mean think about just any other pain right mm-hmm. you got a pain anywhere you got a headache you want to knock your head out you know mm-hmm. in the wall to get it real right you know so unless you take medicine your head is you know you got migraines whatever that's just a simple thing i mean listen i can give you one example i you know about a year ago i had a severe kidney stone and i was in 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 I mean, it just, it was just bad pain. I mean, you, you can, don't know what or what you did. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, if mm-hmm. anyone has experienced it, you will know what I'm talking about. It is a very brutal pain. Mm-hmm. And there's, unless you go to the ER and they give you some level of a drug to just, you know, subside a little bit, the, the pain, and that's only temporary. And then you get back to that. It's very brutal. But imagine that So you would do whatever. I mean, I can tell you the story. I said, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care. Just do surgery, do something, just take the damn thing. That's yeah. where I got to the point. I didn't care about money, white insurance, whatever. And I was overseas, literally. I didn't even have, you know, my my regular stuff. I, I didn't care. But that's that's the thing. You get to a point where there's so much pain that you just want to stop it. And you're right. right. Mental health is, you know, our brain is just another organ that needs, you know, you know, assistance in a lot of ways. And the mental mm-hmm. aspect of it is even, you know, more because there's the brain, which is the the actual, you know, the, the physical piece of it. There's mm-hmm. the mental status, which is also chemicals and stuff and all these things that are happening. And you're right. The ideologies, you know, start getting in and it's a lot easier to just kind of, but I think the work you do is listening to people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think one of the things that you probably, you know, would, would recommend if not, if I'm mistaken, is that it's okay. You know, let's talk about it. And I think that's, that's the thing people need sometimes to hear that, you know, they want to hear someone that's just on their side, as opposed yeah. to, you know, obviously you don't agree to them to do that, but, but when they have a problem, you can kind of resonate with them a little bit. You can, you know, have, have a little bit of empathy and understanding, and then you can deflect some of that. As you said, that's already 40%. If you can do better than that, you know, and get them to maybe a therapist or someone that can, mm-hmm. which is the other part, people may not want to go to that route because as you said, you know, people are going to look at you like, oh my God, you're seeing this, you're doing this. I, mm-hmm. Good example. I mean, I told you we have this show on a monthly basis. People would send the questions, but they would never come on the show. <laughs> Only uh-uh. I've had a few people that actually called in, but but for the most part, you know, we give them even access. They can literally be on the show with us, but people are, are it's still that stigma like, oh my God, I'm going to ask this question. Like people are going to think that I'm, you know, having a problem. There's nothing about it. I think we all should ask the questions because it gives you at least the answers that you need. Maybe you can tweak a few things to help you deal mm-hmm. with some situation. And what we forget that, you know, one thing I love about that show is that the doctor breaks it down to the brain chemistry and where it's all mm-hmm. happening. Right? Frontal lobe and all these things that are happening, you know, mechanically speaking and, 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 and anatomically speaking inside our brains, you know, things that, you know, it's you have no control over. These that's, are the, that's it. That's it right there. <laughs> we have no control over it. You know, and and the the other thing that's so important within this conversation is thinking about the other fear that exists with people. You know, people are afraid of that stigma for sure, but people are also terrified of what happens when they admit that that they're not well. 
Like what happens if I call the 988 line or if I call the Trevor project or I call, or I text the crisis text line, like, like is a cop car going to come bash down my door? Am I going to be hauled out to a hospital? Am I going to be detained? Am I, I mean, people are terrified about what, what that is going to bring on after they acknowledge the fact that they're not okay. And, and that's a huge misconception that there's, you know, some chain reaction that happens and, you know, you're going to end up being, being hauled away. That's not the case. People, I mean, obviously at times, you know, there are interventions that for the sake of that person's safety and well-being, we have to do when we get people involved. But 99% of the time, what someone's doing when they call us is just, they're just talking. They're just talking. They can say as much or as little as they want what they share is entirely up to them and what they're going to get in return is just the validation that we we get it you're you're hurting and it makes sense why you're hurting because these things are happening to you or these things are the things that you're feeling so i i think the the more often that we can remind people that a calling that lifeline is one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself. And B, when you call and you talk to someone, whether it's on a lifeline or you call a friend or you 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 reach out to someone you can trust, that that shows you inevitably that you're not alone. That's that's what all of this talking that like you and I are doing and you and other people are doing and I'm doing with other people. Like what we're doing is reminding people that like we're all in it together. We're all dealing with shit whatever that shit might be. And we, we are stronger when we're honoring that and we're owning that and we're sharing it with each other. Cause if you look at, if I don't know what's going on in your head, I can't possibly help you. Look, no one knew my father was struggling. He was so, he was so good at keeping it hidden that we had no idea. And my parents had the most beautiful marriage, the most beautiful relationship. I woke up every morning as a child to the sounds of my mom and dad laughing and drinking coffee in the kitchen. Every morning I can ever remember, he was a happy, beautiful man. And on the inside, he was completely broken. And, you know, I often wonder, I can't help but wonder, like if he had really had someone to talk to a lifeline like this or a therapist to, to really get into it with, would it have changed the outcome? I don't know, maybe, but I just know that now we do have these resources in place and, and the lines of communication are open with people and you and I are having these conversations and so are millions of people around the world and we have to keep having them so that we create a safe space where it's okay to not be okay. Thank you. That That's a, that's a key one. It's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. it, it's all right. Just speak about it. But, mm -hmm. but you, you touched on something that it, it, as much as it's not the reality, it is the perception, meaning that people think that by calling on being registered into one of those logs, that now it's a history that you have mental health. And therefore, now it will be with you for you know, life, whatever you go. If they, A good example, you know, again, we're in the state's Second Amendment, right? So if someone in the state of Texas wants to get a, a firearm license, right? They mm -hmm. would have to go through, um, you know, the state, you know, database. Is this going to affect it? Now, obviously, if someone is having a mental, you know, uh, you know, concern, that may be preventing him from doing something to get in a firearm. That's an extreme example. But the fact is, people are trying to 
potentially cover that because they don't want anything to be affected by mm -hmm. by by things that they might lose as a privilege because of you know their status of being registered as such. Now the other thing is the mm -hmm. movies have not helped us, you know, in this world because every single movie that you think of, you know, about mental health winds mm -hmm. up in when in in a, in a room with you know with you know pads and a lock <laughs> and people beat you down. And you know the doctors don't don't accept your statement, and they believe that you're not you know in a good state, and they're not taking your word for it. So so people are already subjected to that level of like understanding, although it may not be the real, but that's what we've been seeing all along. Mm -hmm. so therefore, now all we know is that, and so I don't trust you know, uh, Lisa is going to tell me no, this is not going to happen. I don't know <laughs> Lisa, right? That's a problem. So so let's let's can you expand on that and you know what assurances, if any are there for people to actually get comfy that it's okay. This is, you know, there's a degree. I mean, obviously if you get, you know, admitted to a psych, you know, ward, whatever, for whatever mm -hmm. measures. And by the way, those are extreme measures for someone who may not be treatable outside. Like, you know, there's mm -hmm. outpatient, there's inpatient, like everything else. Right. Right. You know, but is there a, a, a limit that we can share with people? Like, listen, if you are just at this level, you just have a conversation, this is confidential. It's not going to, you know, go beyond this. So at least people will feel at ease because I think that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, everything, everything. Now, I, I obviously can only speak for the Trevor Project because that's the lifeline that I work with. And what I can tell you is that, number one, we are all, all of us who are um, taking calls, who are crisis counselors, we are in a complete, completely isolated space. We have to, I mean, have to be. It is a mandatory requirement. We have got to be in a room alone. There is no one else there. There is no one else listening to the phone call. Calls are confidential. Um, we we are not giving out people's personal information. We're not, um, you know, we're we're not subject to you know police interrogations or medical in interrogations. I mean, nothing nothing like that is happening. I mean, the the only times, like as I said, that we would ever have to take steps to protect someone and have some kind of either an involuntary or a voluntary intervention is if someone's life is at imminent risk and you know an attempt is being made and we've exhausted every other option of of trying to de-escalate somebody's behavior and that is the only time that we would ever have to get authorities you know to you to protect you and keep you safe because that's that's our only concern otherwise what we talk about number one is the caller's agency giving the caller who's calling us agency the entire time they're on the phone is our number one priority we're not there to talk about ourselves we're not there to share our own personal details everything about the call is about the caller and how they want that call to go, what they need, um, what they feel like they want to share, what they don't want to share. I mean, we we do something called a risk assessment, which is very it's it's very standard practice at Trevor Project and and on all the other um, nine eight eight style lifelines. Where within the first five minutes, we're doing something called a risk assessment, and and it, it can vary slightly from organization to organization, but the basis of it is. Within the first five minutes of the call, we need to know where you're at emotionally. We need to know, you know, are you thinking of killing yourself? And so we ask people, people need to be prepared that when they call a lifeline like that, someone is going to ask them pretty quickly in the conversation, like, are you thinking of killing yourself? And that's the language that they're going to use. And that that 
can really throw people because that's a really tough question to be asked. But the reason why we're asking that is because we need to assess, like we need to know, are you okay? And that's the only thing that we care about. And depending on how the caller answers that question, there's like a yes path and there's a no path. And if it's a, if it's a no, we may ask you, you know, have you, have you ever thought about suicide before? And you might say, you know, yeah, I did a couple, you know, a couple months ago, I was in a bad place. And, you know, we'll talk that through a little bit. And then we continue on with our conversation. If it's a yes path, I'm going to ask you, you know, have you done anything today to try and, and end your life? Um, do you have the means with, you know, do you have a plan? Do you have those means? Where is it? Things like that. Like, so, you know, it's kind of a chain reaction depending on how you answer it, but that's the kind of thing that people can be, you know, can be expecting and it's standard practice. It's not just happening to you. It's happening to every single person. When we get a third party caller, which is somebody like if you were calling on behalf of a friend, who was struggling and your friend couldn't call and you were worried about that friend and you called the Trevor project, you're called a third party caller because you're not the person in crisis. I'm going to do a risk assessment on you. And then you're okay. going to help me do one on it. the person you're calling for. So that's how thorough we need to be. We need to make sure somebody could, you could be calling me as a parent looking for, looking for just information about, you know, the LGBTQ community in your area, I'm going to do a risk assessment on you. So that's just standard practice. Beyond that, people are not, if you're just having a conversation with us, people are not going to be banging down your door. We just want to be there to listen. And everything is completely confidential. Well, thank you. And I, I love the way you, I mean, obviously, it's a system that is working and you guys are doing it. And, mm -hmm. you know, but but, you know, I love that it's a direct question, because there's two things that I can see just from that question. If I'm mm -hmm. really contemplating it, you know, then now I'm going to start thinking about it, you know, in a different way. Because sometimes it takes that word to really to make you realize, oh, my God, this is this is as serious as it gets now. Because mm -hmm. now you're not, you're not, you know, you know, playing around the bush here. You're straightforward. You're like, are you yeah. going to kill yourself? Huh? I, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't got that far, right? So, so that's why I'm in my mind. I mean, right now, when you said that, that's what went in my mind. It's like, mm -hmm. if you ask me that question, I'm going to think about it a little bit further. So maybe I can question my my judgment at this point. But you're right. It's at least, you know, a way to to determine. But I love, you know, the, the clarification that, you know, it stops there. Unless you are in imminent danger where you need to take action. At that point, right. you know, what you do when you're saving life, the rest of it is is irrelevant because, you know, that can happen and there's always a way around that as well. But you got to save that. Now, that mm -hmm. takes me to the question. Have you ever had someone that was in imminent danger that you guys or you or someone in in, in mm -hmm. the project that you had to intervene and, and take care of and hopefully save the life? I myself personally, now I've been on the lifeline for over a year and a half now, and I, I have had many imminent risk and and or high risk calls. In fact, my very first my very first day, my very mm -hmm. first call after I had gone through, you know, the months and months of training and all of the practice calls. Um, and I was on the lifeline for the very first time. The very first call I picked up was an imminent risk call. It was an in-process suicide attempt. And three hours later, because we're on that call from the time we answer the phone until that person is safe and has a plan and they're going to do a callback and we know that that person is secure. So I have had those calls. I have never personally had a call that required an intervention, but there are, they're, they, they happen from time to time. They're, they're, it's not something that happens on the regular, but um, it, it definitely, it definitely does happen. It's just that particular thing has never happened to me. 
so so just as as curious you know i mean the work is is awesome right so if someone wants to join how does that work i mean you know because i'm sure there's someone that's like i want to be part of this i want to be mm -hmm. able to help i mean is there is there an opening you know do you have to to be uh you know, in a particular area, do you have to be, uh, have a certain degree? What was the requirements to, to be part of the, the, the counselor system? So in the, in the context of the Trevor project, it, it really, there, there is no, um, degree requirement in terms of, of you, you don't have to have a background in, in healthcare or in any kind of crisis counseling. I mean, they will train you according to their very, very proven and effective system of answering crisis calls. The way that you would would approach it is to visit their website, which is the trevorproject.org, and you can you can click on, you know, there are, are prompts. You can you click on, you know, become a counselor and you would submit your information. There's a form to fill out, and you're of course, you know, vetted. There's an incredible vetting system that that happens. And then depending on whether or not they are kind of in a phase where they're looking to to bring on and train more counselors. I know that, you know, during the pandemic, everybody needed counselors and everybody was trying to be counselors. And so they actually had to put things on hold because they had such an influx of people who wanted to, to volunteer. And then they opened that up again. And I happened to kind of be in that cohort when it opened up again. So they, once they accept you into the program, then the whole thing is asynchronous. So it all happens at your own pace, relatively speaking, at your own pace. And it, it happens from home, but there's a lot of, um, you know, connection with supervisors and other counselors and other peers and people who are also training. And it's probably about a three or four month, um, pretty intensive program where you're kind of passing each milestone in order to allow you to continue through the program. And then there are, um, you know, you're, you're doing training calls and sessions and, um, and, and all sorts of different kinds of training modules. And then eventually you, you have your, your training calls where you're kind of shadowed by a supervisor. You're facilitating the call, but you're shadowed by someone who's kind of in the system with you in case anything happens. And then eventually you progress to the end of the, you know, the end of the cycle and you're on your own. Uh, well, listen, it sounds like, you know, it's a pretty solid process and, mm. and, and, and I, I, I do have to say, I mean, you're in the business of your lives really. Cause, uh, that's what you're doing. You're hoping, you're not hoping, you're working to make sure mm -hmm. that, that the people, and from your answer, I mean, you know, you guys are doing a terrific job because it sounds like you you take care of business, you know, from start to finish until you get these people to a better place yeah. and therefore they're not anymore. And then there is a follow-up, as you said, which means that this is not ending at that end of the call. There is more mm -hmm. to it. Uh, you know, now, do you also work referrals? Let's say if someone really needs help, you know, to go to like a, a therapy or something, do you, do you, do you kind of facilitate that for them or, or they have to do that on their own? Um, I mean, we don't, we don't facilitate it in terms of making appointments for people, things like that. Um, what we do is from time to time, we have a really, really extensive internal database of resources, okay. resource, yeah, resources and support. So within, so while I'm on a call, I'm also on my desktop within kind of the Trevor Project's closed, you know, private portal. And we've got different resources available that I can I can search kind of on the fly for different things. And then um, we've got supervisors who work. You're never alone. You're, you're alone on the call. 
but there are always uh, people on the internal network who you can, you know, you can say, I have, um, you know, someone who's looking for these resources in this area. This is, this is their demographic and, and this is what they're looking for. And then I'll, I'll have like 12 people at once, you know, who are maybe not on calls, who are idle at that moment. Um, they'll just start doing the digging for me and everybody kind of collaborates and pitches in to find resources for people. So it's an incredibly collaborative environment. And, so if we don't have the resource that somebody needs on hand, you know, we have ways of sourcing it, which is great. So we're definitely there to point people in the right direction. But we we always, always ask ahead of time if somebody is open to the idea. We're never just saying, here, listen, I, I'm going to give you this resource. It always has to be the caller's decision. Yes, I do want that that help. Or yes, I do want that resource or that suggestion. And, and once... Once we've gotten the okay from that person, then we're we're happy to give them whatever the resources that they need. I mean, there are times that you know we'll we'll help people find therapists in their area, but it really is up to them to go ahead and make those calls and and find that that therapist on their own. Oh wow! I mean, well, listen, I I, I appreciate you know. I mean, you've given so much clarity about this process, and for for people who need the resource and for people who want to be the resource. I mean, literally, you, mm -hmm. you have you have all the options now. Again, it's only in the states, or you know, um, uh, I guess the councils are in the states. Mm -hmm. and you work yeah. only with with folks in the United States, or like you said, you get calls. I mean, out of Wait. ad hoc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Trevor Project is designed to be used here within the United States, all, you know, all all of the United States. And we also do have a Trevor Project Mexico that started about a year and a half ago. So that's the only other Trevor Project organization that exists outside of the US. But again, like you said, like we do occasionally because, you know, the world we live in now, it's it's so easy for somebody in Europe to pick up the phone and, and to call. So we're never going to turn that person away. But the service is really intended to be used, you know, by people who are here in this country. So but if somebody does call from out of the country, we'll we'll always do what we can to help them find a resource that might be more, you know, appropriate for them based on where where they are and what they need. But there's no now. Now, quick question. I mean, yeah, is there for someone that may think that well, I don't want to call because I don't want to pay, get billed or something? Because you know that that always comes out of my. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm assuming the service is is free to 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 uh, no cost to people when they call in, right? Absolutely no cost whatsoever. You could be on the phone with someone for you know for whatever the reason for any length of time as long as that call needs needs to happen and there is absolutely no charge at any point it's completely free and we're there and available and answering calls 365 days a year 24 7. Wow. so it's literally there's 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 access any given mm -hmm. and again yeah. that's that's the key folks i mean the idea is that there's always someone that's willing to listen to help mm -hmm. and assist and that's really a great, you know, thing to know. And of course, that's our mission is to make sure that people are aware and they have the resources that they need. Now, you also, uh, I guess, a storyteller with the National Alliance of Mental of Mental Illness. Is that what is that about? So, um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is um, a grassroots organization that does a lot of the same types of things that a lot of these other mental health organizations do. They create programs and services and trainings to to help people navigate different aspects of their mental health and well-being. And 
NAMI, it's called NAMI, and they have offices all around the country. And one of the programs that they offer is called the Storyteller Program. And it's it's not just for people who are survivors of suicide loss like me. It could be someone who is a caregiver, maybe, for someone who is dealing with mental illness or someone who lost someone as a result of mental illness. So it's it's kind of a wide a wide array of of people that they have who go out and they talk within their communities. I live, you know, I'm here in Boston, just north of Boston. So in Massachusetts, I go all over the state of Massachusetts and talk to different um different organizations, could be schools, could be civic organizations, um could be universities and tell my story and encourage other people to share their own stories and their own experiences and it and it really just it it creates a bridge for people to to recognize that they're not the only one who who might be dealing with the situation that they're dealing with and and it gives people hope that there's kind of an after you know i mean you're when you're in the thick of it whatever whatever it is that you're dealing with it's it's so hard to see that that you're not the only one dealing with it. It's so hard to imagine that there's a whole world of people out there who might be dealing with similar stuff. And and maybe I can share some part of my story that resonates with somebody else who's at an earlier point in their grief or their loss or their journey. And, and maybe it helps them. So that's the whole point behind um, the Storyteller program. And I've been doing that with them since last year. And uh, it's it's a great program, people. And that's also free as well. So any organization who may want to bring a NAMI Storyteller to, to their community can just call the National Alliance on Mental Illness and set that up. And that's free of charge. Well, thank you. Uh, so now we're, we're coming to the end of the show. So I know you have a few books and you also have a website. Mm -hmm. um, so so people can reach out to you uh, through the website to to get assistance or to be participating. How does that work? And uh, what, what would they expect? So my my website has really become by design. It's become kind of a, a hub, kind of a, a destination for mental health resources and support. It's not just it's not just specific to suicide and, and that kind of grief and loss, but it's just a generalized grief, loss, mental illness, mental wellness. Um, one of the things that I've done um, a lot, a lot of work on in the past six months is the mental health resources page that I have built into this site. I wanted to make uh, a list that was as comprehensive as it could possibly be. I mean, no, no list is perfect. No list has everything on it, but I really was striving to create a really inclusive and comprehensive list for for kind of the the more the the more um you know robust communities out there in the world like you know the asian community and the, the latinx community and the bipoc community and the lgbtq community and the elderly community and the veteran community and and i wanted to source as many of the you know the top resources within those communities specific to that to that group. So uh, I've got 16 different different uh, subject headings and, you know, online mental health resources, uh, mindfulness resources. And it's really designed to be a place where people can just go and pretty quickly find exactly what they need without having to think about it. Because when you're in crisis or you're dealing with someone who's in crisis, last thing in the world you want to do is worry about, you know, where am I going to get the resources that I need and how can I trust these resources and how do I get to them? So the whole design is to put things in front of people 
in a way that they can get exactly what they need with one click. So that's, that's on there too. And my books are on there too. And I've got a YouTube series, the suicide survivor series that's in my, in my, um, on my website too. So everything's there all in one place, at least sugarman.com. I actually, I'm looking at the site. It's pretty cool. And uh, I see the pictures of your, you and your dad. And uh, mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's amazing. Like you would never tell, I mean, from seeing the picture mm -hmm. that someone will, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, you can never tell. So folks out there, you, you don't, you know, it's, it's what it is, but you know, when you look at someone, know that they might be going through some, some grief themselves and always be on lookout to help for someone because you never know who is suffering. And uh, I love what you, you mentioned something earlier that's important that, you know, uh, if someone knows of someone that may have a difficulty or they think they may be you know, suicidal, I think mm -hmm. they can reach out themselves and try to get, you know, some intervention, you know, to to help their friends or whoever it is. So that's another, you know, level of, of resource that, you know, I think uh, we should, you know, make sure that people uh, are clear about that. If you don't, you don't, your friends, whoever that you think may be, you know, in, in that level of thinking, they might be not able to do it themselves because they don't want to do it. But maybe you could be that, that help that gets mm -hmm. them the resource and help, you know, and I think uh, that's another thing to just to worth mentioning and folks that on here. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And one, one of the things that, that I think is the most important thing that we can pass along to people is reminding people that the one of the best tools that you can have in your pocket, just always have it in your pocket, is that 988 crisis lifeline. Because whether you're the one struggling or you know someone who's struggling or you've got questions or issues or you're just not you're just not feeling right that's the number to call to get yourself the help that you need or get your person the help that they need. And it's a place where you're going to get validated. It's non-judgmental and you're going to get someone on the other end of the line who's going to be willing to sit and to listen as long as you need to talk. And Lisa, I mean, I know I mentioned something about the cost and stuff, but I believe a lot of resources out there are available for free and no cost mm -hmm. to people. So, cause yeah. that, that's the other thing, like, cause you know, if you're going to go to a therapist that might cost you, mm -hmm. you know, you may not have the insurance, maybe insurance does not cover a certain particular provider. Uh, and, and again, that's my world. <laughs> my background is insurance. So I always, you know, imp you know, that's important to me in terms of discussion, but I know there's quite a bit of resources out there that, that you could access without mm -hmm. having to worry about, you know, the out-of-pocket costs and whatever it is. So there's always help out there, you know, and depends on circumstances, but usually there is some, someone, and you, and you said nine, eight, it is for everyone. It doesn't matter. For everyone. Yep. So. Yep. And again, like the Trevor project, nine, eight, eight, um, and also the crisis text line. If someone is maybe not feeling like they want to have a voice to voice phone call with someone, they can go ahead and text the crisis text line and they can have that conversation over text if it's, if it's safer and more comfortable for them. And so all of these organizations like um, Trevor 988 crisis text line NAMI also has their own um, their own lifeline number all of these numbers are free of charge well a technical question I know all call centers you know technically have a TTY line I mean I'm sure mm -hmm. you have the same and so there's mm -hmm. ability yes. to for people that can't communicate through that so just again mm -hmm. you know mental health doesn't just affect you know it affects everybody so you might not be able to speak it but you can at least you know communicate some way right so mm -hmm. it's an important, you know, uh, piece to to know that. I mean, there's always a, a way to to communicate with someone to assist. So, 
because because I, I know that that's a big thing in the call centers because not everybody can you know pick out the phone and call so mm-hmm. these CTY exchanges can make it i know there's 711 i think 711 is the other the, the exchange for that so yeah you know but there's different you know companies have their own TTY hotlines as well so mm-hmm. yeah all right yeah, we- well yeah go ahead lisa sorry no, I was just going to say that we have them too, and I've we we actually have translators as well. So we we definitely have as many of of the resources as we can possibly have to enable everybody to have the conversation that they need to have. Thank you for that because that that's a big thing. I mean, we're talking about the U.S. and we do have you know a lot of you know immigrant you know ethnic you know backgrounds so on and so forth and languages that are spoken, and so some some folks may need assistance in the language of their you know I guess their, their native tongue. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you use the AT and T hotline, whatever language line. But as long as you have the access to all the core languages, I guess that's another thing. That's always good to hear that there is the right resource for everyone, so everybody can be heard and helped. And that's I think that's a big deal, you know, in in any type of intervention or assistance that 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 people are providing out there. So thank you for for sharing that. That's a big piece too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Lisa, I know we've we've exceeded our hour here, but it was just a you know, great discussion and definitely a good, you know, resource as a show today. Uh your link is definitely going to be a resource for a lot of people and the idea is that, you know, now they know what that something else is available to, you know, to, you know, call and hopefully to talk to someone to help and prevent, you know, an outcome that doesn't have to be there right yeah uh, so so let's hope that we can save lives you know in one life at a time makes a difference right you know and uh that's right yeah that's all we can do and um uh, you know so so anything you want to close our show with today and advice you want to give to our folks out you know listening today you know I, I honestly would just say the same thing i feel like i i say every time i get the chance is just let yourself be vulnerable because if if People don't know what's going on on the inside. People on the outside can't do anything to help. So share what's going on, be open, be vulnerable, and and let people in because once we do that, that's that's how we find the hope and the help that we need. That's that's powerful. And and it starts with that, right? You got to open people. I'm not going to read you unless you, you share. And yeah, I mean, it's okay to be you know, weak at that time because we are weak. But if, as the, as humans, we're not that strong. We're not that mm-hmm. rigid. We are we are soft. No matter what you, <laughs> how strong you think you are, we are, and we do need the help. And we're not here alone. So I think that's that's the biggest you know message that we you, you can give to someone. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, that that's it, folks. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, you know, I had a great time. We've shared quite a bit. Thank you for sharing your story and the work you do and and definitely bring in another resource to our audiences. Uh, so thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure as well. Well, that's it, folks. This is a wrap for today's show. We'll be talking soon. New day, new show and topic. Hurricane H. Uh, Hurricane H out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>